Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Hi, I'm John McEnroe, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast ahead of the ATP World Tour Finals at the O2, which start on Sunday. I should say the Barclays ATP World Tour Finals, particularly Catherine Whitaker, as I was uh, at the Queen's Club yesterday as a guest of Barclays, along with the rest of the uh, the British tennis media uh, who were invited out to a particularly nice lunch, which uh, you know all about. And the reason you know all about this is because... We were recording this podcast 24 hours ago, weren't we, uh, at the Queen's Club, sitting on a lovely bench overlooking the grass courts whilst uh, Roger Federer and Andy Murray inside uh, were practising away at the Queen's Club in readiness for the O2 World Tour Finals. And the reason you're not listening to that podcast is because I messed it up technologically and that podcast is no more. And it was an award winner, so I'm a bit annoyed at the moment. It was the reason we won't win any awards this year is is not because we're not award worthy. It's because uh, it's because of technological failure. Obviously, it was it was a it was a classic of the genre. Yeah, and when anybody says technological failure, what they mean is administration failure by myself. In that I've obviously pressed the wrong button and deleted it. But there we are. That podcast is no more. We are going to recreate it, only better. And uh, here we are in different locations now, uh, a good couple of hundred miles between us, Catherine, but uh, together in spirit and together here on the Tennis Podcast. So uh, what have we got to talk about today? Lots is the answer because the draws are out for the ATP World Tour Finals at the O2. The order of play is with us. We also now have the draws ready to talk about from the Statoil Masters Tennis at the Royal Albert Hall in the first week of December and the order of play for that as well. So we'll we'll get cracking, shall we, Catherine? First of all, the uh, the ATP World Tour Finals, particularly interesting this year because we've got a few new names joining the old guard and it's reflective really of this, the type of year we've had. We're only lacking Rafael Nadal, aren't we? Because uh, the poor lamb's had his appendix out. Apparently he's just, I'm, I'm seeing the latest news is that he has left hospital after his uh, appendectomy. Um, and uh, apparently it went well. So uh, he's he's lighter to the tune of, of one appendix. So we'll see what impact that has 
uh, on his playing. Must be a hell of a relief for him, though, to uh, to get that out. I mean, he's been suffering with appendicitis for three three or four weeks, is it? I mean, extraordinary. I can't... And your memory stretches back uh, further Decades. than... Decades. Quite a bit further than mine, but I, I think that's pretty unprecedented, in certainly in the tennis world, if not the sporting world. Yeah, I mean, he should be all right, though, after this, shouldn't he? I mean, it's not like we all need our appendix, is it? No, apparently it's it's we've evolved beyond the appendix. Not not us personally. We're not it's, some it's, super super of. I think all human beings have evolved beyond the need for the appendix. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of strange that uh, that they still make us the same, considering we don't need this uh, this bit of anatomy. You know, why do they keep popping it in when we when we're produced? I, I don't know. I mean, in new cars, you know, if uh, if 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 you don't need a, a certain bit, you just don't put it in. Well, maybe there'll be superhuman beings in a few years that are that are born minus minus appendix, but I don't think evolution quite works like that, does it? Anyway, no. I've still got mine. I yeah, believe me you too. Too. see. Yesterday we had the uh, when we recorded this first time around, we had the big reveal about yeah. whether we each had our uh, appendixes, and it turns out we we both do for the time yeah. being. Touch wood. Full complement is uh, is is present and accounted for. So yeah, yeah, all appendix appendices are there. Uh, now uh, we. Uh, we have uh, tennis to talk about, Catherine, because uh, as we know, Rafael Nadal is not with us, but Group A has been drawn to reveal the world number one, Novak Djokovic, alongside Thomas Burdich, Stanislas Wawrinka, Marin Cilic. And really, Novak Djokovic must have been throwing cartwheels after that came out because his record against those three players combined is 41 wins and five defeats. Yeah, I do genuinely think those are the three players. Had had he been selecting his draw, I do think those are the three players he would have picked to be in a group with. He's he's the one that's rubbing his hands together. I think everyone else has got got a job on their hands. I think it's it's an incredibly open and interesting draw, but for Novak Djokovic, who I think is pretty much a cert to uh, to top that group. That. Having been said, Marin Cilic, of course, is making his debut at this event and he is going to be freewheeling, I suspect. Goran Ivanisevic, I reckon, I'm sure you would uh, agree with me, is just going to send him out to just throw the kitchen sink at Djokovic when they eventually get out there. Berdic has been through this path a number of times and he's yet to reach a final. Vavrinka is always dangerous, but his form isn't the greatest at the moment. No, exactly. Vavrinka is a bit of an unknown quantity. You wouldn't, you wouldn't bet against him just coming out and uh, and surprising everyone. And um, well, just like he did at the Australian Open, I suppose. But equally, his his form is probably the poorest of all of them coming into this. Especially, you know, you've got a lot of two or three players in there who have surged in this part of the season to qualify. You've got Raonic, Nishikori um, and Murray who have really just had such a strong back end of the season, such a strong um, in, indoor season that they make it really interesting, I think, coming into this on a bit of form. You know, it's not inconceivable that that, that Raonic could, you know, I'm, I'm not predicting this to happen, but he, he's a contender, I think, on the form, on the, uh, on the form that he's in at the moment. Yeah, well, of course, he beat Roger Federer, who is himself a contender for the world number one ranking, which uh, seems extraordinary, doesn't it, to think here a guy at 33 years of age could do that, although he hasn't won a Grand Slam tournament this year. And for me, I I'm old-fashioned. I still feel that even though he's won 17 slams in his career, I think that it would feel a little bit weird if 
the world number one hadn't won a Grand Slam at the end of the year. I agree. It would feel weird and it would be very unusual um, in the men's game, wouldn't it? I mean, I know in the women in on the uh, on the women's tour, this has happened a number of times uh, in the past few years. Not so much of late, but a sort of a period about five years ago where there was a succession of number ones who hadn't won a, a Grand Slam title. Um, it would feel weird, but I, I also think if he were to do it, I think it would be in a career of a staggering number and grade of achievements, I think it would be one of his greatest achievements. I really do. I think it would be something quite exceptional. Should we let him, him off then? Number one. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think it can be allowed because it's Roger Federer. Okay, well, fair enough, Roger. You know, you've been uh, at the top of the game for the best part of uh, a decade and a half. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll let it go. You can be num- world number one, provided you get the right number of points. You've been given the tennis podcast's blessing. Now, it's going to be tricky, though, isn't it, for, for Federer? Not only did he lose uh, ahead of the final in Paris last week against Milos Raonic, who beat Federer for the first time in his career. Those two are going to come up against each other again at the uh, the ATP World Tour Finals, aren't they? Because uh, they've been drawn in the same group. We've also got Andy Murray and Kei Nishikori in that group. It is an absolutely fabulous group for my money, that one, isn't it? Yeah, I, I love the look of that group. That group, for me, is is really genuinely exciting um, on paper. And, and I, I, I really don't think many of those matches will, will disappoint. Opening day, you've got Murray against Nishikori. I think Murray will come through that, but I, I think he'll be really challenged. I could see that going three. Um, and Federer out for revenge against Raonic. I think Federer will come through that in two tight sets, but I don't think either match will disappoint the crowds. I think that group I mean and then you've got the crowning glory of Federer versus Murray we don't know whether that will be on Tuesday or on Thursday but either way uh, that group is mouth-watering for me and, it, and it'll be based won't it on who wins the, on the opening day on Sunday we know that uh, Murray against Nishikori is the afternoon match Federer against Raonic is the evening match and the winner of those two will face each other on Tuesday. That's typically how it works. The losers of that of those two face each other on Tuesday and then the reverse matches on the Thursday. So you think three sets for uh, Murray over Nishikori and straight sets for Federer over Raonic. I'm going the other way around. I think Murray's going to come through in straight against Nishikori and I think uh, Raonic is going to get into a dogfight with Federer, but Federer's going to scrape through. I don't disagree that it could be a dogfight. I just think it'll be a, I think it'll be a, a scrape in two sets rather than a scrape in three sets. That's what I think. Possibly two tie breaks, seven, six, seven, five, something like that. Um, but I do think, I think, I was very surprised to see Federer lose to um, Raonic in Paris last week, in all honesty. I it, it, Their games match up so well. But when I see Federer against a, a big server, Federer has almost created a, a return of serve against the big server. That chipped... That chipped backhand return, the block almost, um, that he used to such devastating effect against Andy Roddick for about a decade, that just completely nullifies the the big server. I mean, yes, he'll get aced every now and then, but he just has the measure of the big server generally. Um, so I was surprised uh, to see him crash out to Roundich last week. Well deserved by Roundich, but I don't see it happening again on this court uh, at the A2 because Federer owns that court. Well, he owns it aside from the fact that uh, he often has to run into Mr. Raff, uh, to Mr. Novak Djokovic, who invariably beats him on that court. 
He does, but as you know, because we've uh, this is round two of this podcast, I am predicting a Federer-Djokovic final that will be won by uh, Roger Federer. That's what I'm predicting. The history does not support that view, Catherine, because they've played each other in one absolutely fabulous match a couple of years ago and another one, I think last year, they played each other as well, didn't they? But, I mean, Djokovic has always had the answers in the end. He has, and um, I, I, real, I realise I'm going against uh, what... I'm going against the uh, historical form book, I suppose. But, I mean, yes, Djokovic won in Paris, and yes, on paper, he's in good form, but I don't think he had to play his best tennis to win in Paris. I didn't see his best tennis in Paris. I, I, I think it's yet to be seen whether he's in truly great form. I think it's possible that when he plays the best players in the world, he could run into a bit of trouble because, I, I mean, equally he could prove me wrong. But I think it's quite interesting that there are a few players that look like they're in fantastic form. And I particularly include Murray in this because... Controversially, I know he's had this sensational run on the indoor indoor hard courts, but I don't think he's been playing brilliantly. I think I think he could get found out a little bit at the O2 next week. You know, I've seen I've seen some signs in his game that I don't like so much. That final against uh, Robredo in Valencia, he was about three meters behind the baseline for most of that. And yes, he's a brilliant tennis player. He can win tennis matches from three metres behind the baseline. And he did win that tennis match. But that's not how he won his Wimbledon title. It's not how he won his US Open title. It's not how he won his Olympic title. Murray is at his best. Murray is at his major title winning best when he's stepping up, he's taking it earlier, um, and he's being aggressive at the right moments. And uh, I haven't been seeing that over the past few weeks. You so... are a tough judge, Catherine Whitaker. You, you know, when we actually recorded this yesterday, and uh, every time I bring that up, I get this sort of shiver of anger uh, because of having deleted the podcast. However, when we talked about this yesterday, and you said this outside on the bench overlooking the grass at Queen's, this flock of seagulls just suddenly flew into the air. No, they weren't seagulls, were they? They, they were pigeons. They were pigeons. There were about 15 of them, and they just they just flew into the air in utter disgust at hearing you doubting Andy Murray's form, despite all the efforts and work and success that he's had recently. They were as disgusted as I am right now. Well, he could go up an extra gear. He could He could just have been playing as well as he needed to. He's got an extra gear in the bank, but I don't think... I don't think it works like that for Andy Murray. I, I don't. I, look, he could very well prove me wrong, but I think his his form against the best players in the world is yet to be proven. I don't think he's going to beat Federer playing the way he played against uh, Tommy Robredo in that in that final in Valencia. That's what I think. Yeah, well, actually, I have to say, um, you're starting to convince me. I mean, yesterday when we talked about this, I said Murray would beat Federer, didn't I? And um, and and go through that group as the as the winner of the group, you and did. that uh, Federer would be in second place. I'm starting to just waver a bit here. <gasps> this is a first. Have I persuaded you? Have I used my uh, powers of of persuasion to? Uh, I think to you might have done. And also, there is. I, I'm quite big on records at um, at at this particular tournament, and Federer has tended. Well, I think he's always beaten Murray when they've played each other at the O2. Um, and oh dear no I'm going to stick with Murray I'm going to stick with Murray but I I don't say this with any great conviction I have to say because I know what you mean I don't think Murray's absolutely smack on best form at the moment but he's 
He's playing well and he's playing a lot. So um, it's going to be an interesting atmosphere, isn't it? I mean, we, we talk, what do you think in terms of crowd support? I'd probably go 50-50. Maybe, maybe even a little bit more in Federer's favour, yeah, just because people all around the world can get tickets. Fifty-one forty-nine in Federer's favour, probably. Um, I mean, it's the first time Andy's played in the UK since he, um, since he. Uh, how I don't know how to refer to it really. His slight indiscretion on Twitter with regards to the uh, the Scottish independence campaign. Well, it wasn't indiscretion, indis- was it? He just said what he thought at the time. I, but his his. Follow up the interview he did with the BBC. I think I think he he would admit to it being an indiscretion himself. I I, I hope I'm not overstepping the mark by um, by referring to it as such. I think well, he would I think I think he agree. certainly realised when it happened. Uh, this has probably not done me any favours, um, and actually it's, it's it's a bit of a shame that I've said some something about about what I think about my own country, Scotland, and, and I'm getting absolute pelters. I mean, I, th- I think he's still... I mean, he's signed up for the, the Davis Cup tie, hasn't he, against the United States. He is, he's going to be throwing heart and soul into that. He's, he's, he's nailed his colours to the mast enough times, wearing the British colours um, for the Olympic team. Um, but, you know, it was, it's a shame when you, you can't, unfortunately, say exactly what you think all the time um, or, or, or express an opinion. Um, so he, got, he did get nailed over that in some quarters. I think people are probably, on the whole, in that stadium, not going to worry a fig about that, to be honest. I don't know. Well, I, I think it will be a very interesting litmus test. And I think, I mean, purely as, aside from all of the, the politics and all of the rest of it going on, you could look at it from a tennis point of view as just a very poor tactical move on Murray's part because um, the, the the top of the game is about tiny margins, isn't it? It's about fractions of percentage percentage points you know the difference between a grand slam winner and a and a grand slam runner-up is not necessarily that you're that much better a tennis player it's it's about lots of the extraneous things and and murray is privileged enough to be from a country that has a home grand slam and also currently has the uh, the season ending world tour finals on his home turn that's a huge advantage and having the having the crowd support the crowd on your side is one of those fractions of percentage points, if not whole percentage points. It's, so no, to, look, to it risk is a, that at all, I don't. I, I think you're over. You're overstating the importance of that. Personally, um, I, I think that you have to look within the player that Andy Murray is and the psyche that he is, and remember what he is like. If anybody tries to say you can't or you won't do something, and I think he's more likely to come out with defiance uh, against anything, anything, frankly. I mean, yes, I think he does respond well to crowd support, but I also think he, he responds well to just any kind of chaos, any kind of situation, anything out of the ordinary. I think the, the, the worst thing that can happen to Andy Murray is the ordinary, is, is the expected. If things happen just as expected, I think he, it doesn't really stoke his fire. But if you, if you rile him in any way, I think he becomes a, a more dangerous animal. So you think if he steps out, let's say he and Federer are playing Tuesday night, uh, he steps out onto the court against Federer and the crowd support is overwhelmingly in Federer's favour. It won't be overwhelmingly in favour. But, but I'm just testing your theory here. Let's say it's overwhelmingly in Federer's favour. Do you think that would 
inspire Murray to I, I think it would I think he would grit his teeth and 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 internally the little voice would be going all right then come on let's have it a bit John McEnroe-esque yeah a little bit like say. that but I mean I, I remember I remember being in the stadium when when he beat Federer at, at, in Melbourne at the Australian Open and, and I was sent out to do some interviews with crowd members it's one of the first times I've ever been outside the commentary box in a situation like that and Federer was coming back at him. Uh, Murray was leading by a couple of sets, and there was some attitude out there. There was some some aggro between the two players, a little bit of tension, and the crowd then were absolutely overwhelmingly, as so often is the case, in Federer's corner. It actually had the the opposite effect. Although it inspired Federer, Andy Murray just dug in, and I think he enjoyed being the guy that wasn't being supported almost i think he i think he got even more out of himself and i think he he wanted to just shut everybody up quite honestly well we've used the word many a time to describe him but he is he's a contrarian isn't he that that is one of the if you had to pick three words to sum up andy murray in personality terms contrarian would probably be the top of your list i i, I don't disagree with you about the assessment of his Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs coming off their parents plan or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig underwritten by golden rule insurance company they offer flexible budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals get more cool facts about united healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com personality and how he responds to situations i'm just saying i i i don't know what the what the crowd response is going to be you could very well be right that i'm i think I'm, it'll be 55 45 in favor of um federer personally uh, that would be my expectation in that particular arena it was it was fascinating when they played each other at Wimbledon not the Olympics because that you know there was obviously a national element a nationalistic element to that and, and the British supporters were behind Murray because of the, the the flag colors and all the rest of it but when they played each other in the Wimbledon final I remember thinking before the match I expect Roger Federer to get at least 50-50 support here because of his global appreciation um, and it was not the case. They were overwhelmingly in favour of Andy Murray that day. There was a real national fervour about Murray. And when they then played each other, uh, what was it, six months later at the O2, 
it was it was different. It was the opposite way around. It was much more support for Federer, and I'm sure it's because it's just a different kind of crowd, and and people block their tickets off from weeks, months in advance from all over the world, and and the Federer world support comes out. Well, I mean. I don't disagree with you. I mean, my brother, big tennis fan, Murray fan, he'll support Murray against anyone except Federer. He supports Federer in a Federer-Murray match. That's so there you go. That's it, isn't it? So we, we think uh, we think they will both get through. I'm just about going with Andy Murray to top the group. Um, and you're going with Federer. And so out of the other group, who's going to come out of the other group, Catherine? Because we obviously both think Djokovic will top the group. But second position is fascinating and since you always complain that I never go first I'm going to say Marin Cilic is going to join him yeah and I think I agree with you the scrabble for second place is going to be really interesting I predict some three set some three set matches um among the uh, the rest of the bunch in there um and I think I agree with you I think the court could suit him um I know uh he pulled out of Paris he's, he's a little bit you know we his form is a little bit patchy had some slightly dodgy losses on the um on the uh asian swing you know losing to karlovic he shouldn't be losing matches to evo karlovic yeah but, but against evo karlovic it's always going to be a serving contest and if you get it into two tie breaks which is what karlovic did there's no guarantee there no exactly but i still think he sh- I still think he should be coming through that. I, I think that's a very disappointing loss i i know you see karlovic in the draw and of course you think well that's very, very easy to lose. But still, he as a Grand Slam champion, he should now look at those matches and be pretty gutted to lose them. But anyway, I, uh, although he's had a patchy, a patchy indoor hard court season thus far, um, and I do think he will lose to Djokovic. I think he will take second place in that group. I think if he can take advantage of the court, be aggressive, and I know Goran's going to be there. Um, telling him to be aggressive I think he can I think he can do it do you know that is one of the groups that you could very easily find uh, a situation which goes down to game difference because Djokovic I think we we think will probably go through three and oh but the other three could easily go to a position where they've each got one win and a couple of losses couldn't they and um and you going down and working out the percentages as we've had uh, had pretty dramatically in the past but no I mean I, I think I'd just about go with Chilich so I don't know we're in agreement what do we do about that we move on David we move on there's nothing okay. more to say the semi-finals then so that means uh, you reckon that Djokovic is going to be up against Murray I say against Federer with Murray against uh, Chilich in my view uh, and I think we're going to end up with a Djokovic against Federer final well, I I agree. I just think we'll get there via via different via a different passage. But I agree, a Federer Djokovic final. Can, hold on, can can that happen? As I've just explained it, it can, can't it? Yeah, or can yeah. it? You, no, no, Djokovic... it can't. It can't happen. It can't happen by. Hang on, you're saying Djokovic tops Group A, yeah. Federer second in Group B, so they will meet in the semis for you. Oh, okay. See, I'm I'm not very quick. <laughs> uh, uh, jo- <laughs> this didn't jo- happen in in the first no, recording. Folks. No, it didn't, did it? You know, it's, it's been a long night. I must admit, my you know. Uh, anyway, Djokovic uh, against Federer. Then, so I think Djokovic will win that. So it'll be a Djokovic Murray final, is what I'm saying. And you're saying a Djokovic Federer final. 
I'm saying Djokovic, Federer, Federer to win. You're saying Djokovic to I'm win. I'm saying are Djokovic you? to win the title. Yeah. Well, it's, in a big, it's, in a big sort of brave statement uh, at this point. World number one podcast. to win the title. You are, you yeah. are outlandish with your predictions, David. You do put out your neck on the line, law. don't you? They do call me out on a limb law. Uh, Favourite memories, Catherine, of the ATB World Tour Finals, the Tennis Masters Cup, the Masters as it was known in uh, New York and Madison Square Gardens in the early days. What you got? Well, I gave this a lot of thought and uh, not necessarily the best match, but I've picked out one that I think highlights what is particularly unique about this event and the round-robin format and all the drama that can come with around Robin format and that was the match in 2009 between uh, it was a final group stage match between Federer and Del Potro Federer was already through so he was just he was just cruising uh, Andy Murray sitting at home on his sofa uh, hoping desperately for Federer to win the only scenario in which Murray wouldn't go through to the uh, semi-final stage was was a Del Potro victory with a certain number of games and a certain number of sets and at three all in the third set, Federer, oh, Murray only needed Federer to win one more game to be assured of going through. And of course, Del Potro won six three in the third. Um, but it was it was chaos. the The maths were being still being done behind the scenes. And I remember Mark Petchy walking onto the court for Sky to do his post match interview, and he didn't know who to congratulate because the maths were still being done behind the scenes and. Yes, it was chaos, but it was there was so much drama, and it's a very unique kind of drama that you you don't get with a standard tournament format. So I think for me that was a match that highlights everything that's special and unique about this particular event, and it stands out in my memory. It certainly does. Well, of course, I go back uh, rather further in my memory than than you do, uh, and, uh, and in fact, I don't think you were alive when this tournament started, were you? So uh, you can't remember some of the uh, the instances that I'm going to uh, remember. However, um, my personal highlights probably Boris Becker beating Jim Courier in 1992. I think that was the first time I was able to watch the whole thing all the way through by bunking off school. You know. Uh, uh, don't do that at home, kids, but that's what I used to do. Uh, uh, there was, a, yes, Boris Becker, who'd had a, a very difficult time losing to Andre Agassi at Wimbledon in the quarterfinals that year. He's going through a lot of personal issues too, and then suddenly he came out in front of the Frankfurt German crowd and he just steamrolled the world number one in the final, and he was unplayable that day, I, I would say. Uh, Alex Karetscher over Carlos Moyer in five in 1998 in Hanover was the first one I was ever at in person. And uh, memorable as well for the fact that German television had got their allotted time slot. Uh, and because the players were overrunning and because they didn't include uh, Boris Becker or one of the more famous players, they decided not to show the end of it, it's even though it was an absolute that. humdinger in five sets. I think uh, one of my favourite memories, and, and perhaps one that doesn't certainly didn't come out in the uh, the memories uh, remembered by uh, our Twitter followers and our listeners, uh, which I'll refer to in a moment. But Gustava Curtin winning in Lisbon in 2000 is one that I remember being on the court for and and helping with the the the, the presentation of the of the trophy. And the one that really stands out for me in that was. He beat Andre Agassi, he thrashed Agassi in the final. And I remember the crowd rising to Agassi when Agassi was presented with the runner-up trophy and just shouting, Agassi, Agassi, Agassi. And you had 15,000 people 
all chanting this and Agassi it was like he was in a trance he did not change his facial expression at all it was as though he was just in another world at that particular point amid the disappointment of having lost the, the final and I suspect if somebody showed in those scenes he'd probably be quite disappointed in himself and I'm not trying to criticize I don't, I don't know what it's like to lose in the final one of these things but it was such a moving moment to, to witness I, I I'm sorry that he wasn't able to appreciate it in the way that perhaps he would have wanted to if he if he reflected upon it um, one that comes up a lot on the Twitter reactions was Pete Sampras's win over Boris Becker in 1996 in the final and I actually went and had a, a look at some YouTube clips of that Catherine and the serve and volley tennis that those two were playing that day was a, just a joy and you know I really would love to I, w I want to play some time machine tennis Catherine I want to transport Pete Sampras and Boris Becker from 1996 into the draw can we do that <laughs> well, we on the last tennis podcast we discussed um, sort of the cyclical nature of tennis, couldn't we? And I don't, I don't think we're going to go back to those days quite. But I do think we are seeing. I don't think it's coincidence now that we're seeing a bit more, bit more variety. And at the at the O2 this year, we could see, could just see more serve and volley than we've ever seen before. I think Federer will will use it uh, as a tactic. I th I hope to see Chilich using it a fair bit and and Murray throws it in more often um than I've seen him in the past. So we we could see a smattering of serve and volley. It's not going to be like the uh, the mid 90s, but it could mix it up just enough to uh to sate you. Yes, yes, no, absolutely. I, I think that that's that, that there is going to be more of it. But you know, the way they relentlessly just went into the net, Sampras and Becker, regardless of what their serve was like, that was the fascinating thing. They could throw in this half-court serve, and they were just still rampaging in towards the net and picking off volleys off their shoelaces. It was just so much fun to watch, and all the passing shots and lobs and and so forth. Really, really good fun. But you just couldn't get away with that these days. Maybe they could, but. It was notable the the difference in explosiveness on the returns of the players today and how nimble they were compared to these slightly more heavy-footed and legged players uh, back in that era. Uh, obviously, Becker is an, is an exception because he wasn't about movement, was he? But anyway, Roger Federer over Rafael Nadal a couple of years ago was another classic, and uh, that is one that's been picked up by... A few of our followers, Britta Giovanni, uh, number one, says Djokovic-Federer final of 2012 was the best two-set match ever. And I do remember that, Djokovic coming through, and it was an absolute cracker, that one. Uh, Stu Tennis says it has to be the final in 2005 between Nalbandian and Federer. Nalbandian in five from two sets down, and he backed him at 33-1, to one, so he made a, a few quid on the side too. I, I have to say I, that was one that didn't didn't occur to me when I was racking my brains for my favourite memories. But thank you, Stu Tennis, because uh, you brought it all back. That was a sensational match, a truly was. sensational match. And that's yeah, yeah, that, we're, yeah, we're, we're with you, Stu Tennis. The only downside to Stu Tennis is I believe he's a Chelsea fan, Catherine. But you can't have everything. Oh crikey! You've 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 trashed it all. That cancels yeah. out everything. Yeah, well, there's, no, wrong, there's Stu, no redeeming just, uh, that. 
Just put me right if I'm wrong. Uh, Dean Theopolis says uh, Sampras defeating Becker in 96, the one I referenced. Classic match, one of the best ever. Cindy Black says the Djokovic-Federer 2012 final as well. Sashimba123 says Rogers beatdown on Rafael Nadal, an indoor masterclass from the round robin in 2011 at the O2 core. I remember that I, one, yeah. Federer was just taking serves on the service line that day. Yeah, there haven't been many Federer beatdowns of Rafa Nadal, have there? And most no. of them have, have come uh, come on that court, I think. That was probably the best performance he's ever had against him, I would say. Um, E.T. Froggy says it has to be the Roddick against Nadal match where Andy narrowly lost in three despite serving and volleying legendarily. What, what was that, David? <laughs> legendarily? Second, second time lucky. Legendarily? I think it's legendarily. <laughs> Oh dear. Uh, <laughs> don't use that word again with me. Froggy. I can't say it. Alex J. Bull says it has to be that Nadal Murray fed three set semi final in 2010. Best oh, match of the yes. O2 that there has been yet, and it was a tiebreak to decide it. I remember the end of that one because obviously Murray was still grand slamless at the time, wasn't he? And I think after that match, most of us thought, well, if he plays like that much longer, it, it's, it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, this is the memories are coming flooding back now. Thank you, Twitter, Twitter interactive people. Twitterati. Twitterati. I, I, that word came to me, but I was loath to use it. It oh. doesn't. I don't feel like the sort of person that says Twitterati. Well, but they, I've said it twice in one sentence now. So uh, yeah, you have indeed. <laughs> it's not the only tennis, of course, that is still to come. There's the Davis Cup final to look forward to. Switzerland going for that. Roger Federer's first ever. Davis Cup if he manages to, to win that. And of course our beloved Statoil Masters Tennis Catherine at the Royal Albert Hall and here are the groups. Group A Tim Henman, Fernando Gonzalez and Thomas Enquist have been drawing in the round robins together. And Group B is Andy Roddick, Greg Rosetsky and Sergi Bergera. So plenty to look forward to there. Uh, it all starts on Wednesday the 3rd of December with Henman against Enquist in the afternoon. Then in the evening Andy Roddick against Sergi Bergera with doubles featuring Mansour Barami. Catherine we've been watching Barami on the doubles court at the Albert Hall for about 15 years and it just doesn't get old it just doesn't get old you keep thinking uh, every every year at some point I'll sit down to watch a few minutes of Barami thinking thinking this will be the the year that it all all seems you know that I stop laughing at it and stop appreciating it and and I never do and uh, that's that's quite a testament to him Hold on a minute. You sit down to watch at the Albert Hall. You're supposed just, to be working, Catherine Whitaker. Just what momentarily, you, you know, Blackberry in hand, always. Obviously, yeah. Uh, for, on Thursday afternoon, uh, Gonzalez against Enquist. How about this one? The, the, they've still got the old boys back uh, for a few exhibitions. The evening session of Thursday the 4th of December, John McEnroe against Pat Cash. And it brings me back to 2000, so 14 years ago, when... John McEnroe going for a fourth title in as many years. He'd never lost at the Royal Albert Hall before since the tournament started in 1997. And he played cash in the final. And I tell you, it was so tense. <laughs> Bear in mind, these, these blokes have supposedly already had their careers. And yet here they were going hammer and tong, 14-12 in the deciding set to pack cash to finally register a defeat against John McEnroe at the Royal Albert Hall. And we'll get to have it all again on Thursday the 4th of December. And every subsequent match 
that they've played is uh, is equally tense, isn't it? I think that match lives long in the memory because there's there's serious needle between those two. Not that they don't get on, but when they step onto the court, there is real needle between those yeah, two. You can sense the tension. You can it? sense how much they, regardless of whether there's anything at stake, they both desperately want to win. Yeah, they sure do. Saturday the 6th of December has Andy Roddick against Greg Rozetsky in the evening session. Um, we have Barami and McEnroe playing doubles in the afternoon on that day as well. And then this is a, a really special. On the evening session of the final day, Sunday the 7th of December, the Milan World Team Tennis Smash Hits event in which Billie Jean King and Sir Elton John bring this event over out of the United States for the first time in its 20-plus year history uh, to London, and they'll be running two teams, one against each other, captained by themselves, and it'll feature McEnroe, Roddick, Henman, and also Kim Kleisters and Sabina Lizicki as well, coming over for one night only to benefit, benefit the Elton John AIDS Foundation. And uh, there are tickets available for most of these sessions, not many, I tell you, the, the tickets have been going like hotcakes. Um, so... You know, have a go, see if you can get any. Uh, com is the place to go to try to get tickets for that event, which starts on the 3rd of December. You will not regret it, Catherine Whitaker. It is pretty good. And we get to go in free. I know. It's a privilege every year. I said I said on the last podcast it's it's in my top two events, uh, and uh, that's very much the case. I can't. It's only three weeks away now. I can't wait. It is, indeed. Catherine, it's been fun. Hey... I have to say though, on when we uh, when we recorded this the first time round, uh, I realised afterwards that we didn't mention Serena Williams winning in Singapore, and I think we oh. should. Yeah, go I on. I think then. we should because that was. Um... Yeah, she was fantastic, wasn't she? What a win that was for Serena Williams. And especially having uh, having lost to Simona Halep in the way she did in the group stages, and it was just so Serena-like the way she came back. Um, yeah. to win that final uh, yeah incredible and congratulations to Caroline Wozniacki for running the New York Marathon as well oh. in 3 hours and 26 minutes what was your best time Catherine? she be- she, she didn't even look. She, she crossed the finish line in a hat and gloves she didn't even look like she'd broken a sweat it was quite intimidating I reckon uh, I could do it I could, I could do it in a, in a good 3 hours in my car on a bike no problem no problem at all yeah yeah yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, more marathon talk uh, in the new year when we start our training for the New York Marathon, Catherine. Yeah, yeah. I, never say never. <laughs> never say never. We've got to have our challenge match first, haven't we, at the Royal Albert Hall, uh, in which um, our good friend Dave Levy is offered to uh, to be the umpire. I've told him he can be the ball boy. And he'll be on the tennis if podcast uh, uh, as part of the uh, the next edition uh, when we, we come. Well, maybe we'll squeeze one in at the O2 before then, but uh, we'll all be there at the Albert Hall and we'll do a, a podcast or two from there as well. But that's all for now. Thanks for listening to us and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com